Hi, and welcome to the National Shooting Sports Foundation's podcast series, Gun Industry Speaks. As the trade association for the firearms and ammunition industry, we are often talked about in the news and on social media. Throughout this series, we will be speaking for ourselves. We will cover who we represent, what our goals are, and what we do to promote real solutions for safer communities. My name is Elizabeth McGuigan, and I'm the Director of Policy and Legislative Research for NSSF. I'm here with our President, Joe Bartosi. If you're just joining us, we would recommend going back and starting with our first episode, in which we covered who we are as the Trade Association for the Firearms and Ammunition Industry. Today, we're turning to technology, specifically so-called smart guns and what the industry's position is on the technology and on government mandates. Joe, can you walk us through what smart guns are? Yeah, in the most basic sense, a smart gun, so-called smart gun, it has some type of technology built into the firearm mm -hmm. that has what they would call authorized user recognition. Okay. That is, the owner of the gun, theoretically, would be the only person to fire, to be able to fire that gun. Okay. Um, started about in sometime in the mid-90s, mm -hmm. and it was a response to the, the situation where a police officer would have his or her firearm wrestled away from them by a criminal mm. and turned against the officer. So that okay. created that created the kind of the incentive or the impetus for um, the industry to start thinking about how do we prevent these types of things. So that's that's what started the whole the whole dialogue about smart guns. Okay. Now you're talking about smart guns sort of as a concept. Do they exist now in the common marketplace? Can I walk into a gun shop and buy one after passing a background check? No, not in the common marketplace. There, okay. there may be some uh, like prototypes, prototypes, concept mm -hmm. type uh, firearms out there, but in the in general circulation, mm -hmm. uh, there, there there isn't, and, and that's despite you know almost thirteen million dollars spent by the Justice Department for research and wow. in trying to entice entice manufacturers to create these things. But what we're seeing is that the technology simply hasn't evolved to the point where they would be reliable enough. Mm. to go on to the consumer market. And what we're also seeing is the demand is, is very, very small. Okay. So uh, that's probably the reason why more, more important than technology, perhaps. Yep. Uh, and that's, by the way, crucial. Mm -hmm. But the other part is we're seeing very low consumer demand for this type of product. So okay. uh, it's a big investment in the technology and a costly firearm, but with, lo with, little, with low, low consumer return, return yeah. uh, it's not going to be a, a successful product, I wouldn't mm -hmm. think. One of the major criticisms that we hear against the industry is that the technology isn't ready yet because we don't want to develop it. Now, that sounds counterintuitive to me. I would think that any business wants to grow, go into new product lines, develop new technologies. Um, but you spoke about the mil millions of dollars that have already been dedicated by the federal government. What about our members? Are gun manufacturers working on this as well? Have they in the past? Well, absolutely they have. Mm -hmm. um, I worked for a manufacturer and with a manufacturer of a so-called smart gun for a number of years. Really? Uh, okay. The company uh, did spent millions on research and development, mm. uh, took out patents on the technology. Um, so yes, companies have, and I'm certain still are, working on these things. Mm -hmm. uh, the, biggest, the biggest issue is we talked about there's low, low um, demand. Mm -hmm. I think, I know, that if the consumers wanted this, right. gun manufacturers would rush to market to get something right. to market. Uh, the industry, the manufacturers, of course our trade association, we do not oppose the technology. We absolutely want consumer choice 
in the marketplace as to what a, a consumer can buy for any type of firearm, smart mm -hmm. gun or, or not. Right. Uh, we, we support um, the options. Yep. We support choice in this regard. But there is a concern about reliability mm -hmm. and there's a concern about price. And we saw this where I used to work in focus group studies right. where people said, mm -hmm. I don't want wearing a watch, I'm not wearing a ring, I don't trust my life mm -hmm. on this type of technology. We had law enforcement focus groups, we had consumer focus groups. There's a concern about I'm paying a premium price for a less reliable product right. and that's a bad combination. So I think at some point in time, someday maybe, but at this moment, they're not widely available, and I think that's probably the, the, the reason you'd point to to see why they're not available. Yeah, that's interesting you talk about the focus groups. At NSSF, we did a survey a couple of years ago and found that over 80% of Americans said they would not be likely to buy a smart gun based just on the technology alone. Um, so we see that manufacturers are working on it and other science professionals are working on it. Um, but we have, you know, these days we have robots vacuuming floors. We have phones that recognize our faces and our fingerprints. <coughs> and we live in a, in a time of technology everywhere. What makes smart guns so different? What's the holdup between actually developing this? I think what a lot of people don't realize is that when a firearm operates, when mm -hmm. it fires, okay, right. when, it, when it shoots a bullet yes. in simple terms, the amount of forces on that mm. mechanism, all throughout the entire mechanism of the firearm, are significant. Substantial right. G-forces right. are imparted on that firearm each and every time it's fired. It's an explosion. You, right? It's an explosion, exactly. When you think about your smartphone, mm -hmm. and you pick it up and you try to get your fingerprint to, to open the screen, um, sometimes it doesn't work so great. <laughs> uh, and if you For drop sure. it, the phone itself becomes uh, could become broken or, mm. or you know, non-functioning in some fashion. But with a firearm, that has to work each and every time, right. reliably um, and 100%. Mm -hmm. Firearm is a tool. Uh, it lives, and this technology, this smart gun technology, lives right. in a very rough environment. The G-forces, the soot and the unburned gunpowder, mm. perhaps, uh, gun oil. Right, uh, right. For hunt if you're hunting or shooting, uh, with this gun, it could be raining. It could. There are a number of environmental factors that people don't don't um, tend to think about. Sure. They tend to oversimplify. Yeah, just just like my smartphone can do it, why can't your gun do it? It's quite a bit different environment. Right. Right. Quite a bit different environment. Now we talk about you know different technologies. I know. Can you walk us through? Do some use fingerprints? You mentioned a watch. What are some of the yeah. technologies that they are kind of tossing around out there? There's three basic ones that I'm aware of, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are others, and I'm sure um, folks are very enterprising, they'll figure out other sure. ways, but there's the three basic ones that we've seen are fingerprints. Okay. So that your fingerprints, would, would you touch a sensor on the side of the f firearm, mm -hmm. typically these are handguns, so you touch on the side of the, of, the, of the pistol, let's say, and that would then awaken the gun okay. to be able to be functioned. Um, there's also what's called RFID, which is radio frequency identification. Mm -hmm. It's a chip, essentially. You have a chip in a ring or a watch. You'd have a corresponding chip in the gun that the picks gun. up that frequency. Okay. And as long as they're in relatively close proximity, mm -hmm. the gun will become active. Okay. If you move away or the, the watch or ring is not present, theoretically, um, the, the gun won't fire. There's another one that I've seen uh, and read quite a bit about is grip characteristics. Okay. And that is the way you grip a particular firearm 
will de uh, will either activate it mm -hmm. or not, depending on who's who's gripping the firearm. Uh, that seemed to me to be the least kind of the least attractive option because mm -hmm. uh, your grip could change depending upon if you're sweaty or uh, or what have you. You're in a crisis and you're a law enforcement and agency. That. And, and there's that. Yeah. Um, but I think with all of these things, uh, particularly things like fingerprints mm -hmm. and the grip, particularly, um, if you have to switch hands for whatever reason, right? if your spouse needs to use the firearm to defend themselves because you are incapacitated right. or not available, right. now there's a problem. Mm -hmm. If you're wearing gloves, if it's raining, if it's cold, these are things as a practical matter are going to change the grip characteristics, right. certainly going to change the ability to get a fingerprint on that firearm. Oh, absolutely. So just as a practical matter, those solutions are not, are not great. The RFID, uh, we've seen mm -hmm. demonstrations where the technology can be, can be jammed, oh, the yeah. so the technology can become ineffective by outside forces, by, right. by jamming the right. signal, so the gun won't fire, so you can't defend yourself. Um, we've also seen where the ring could be moved at quite a distance and the gun still operate. So not quite as mm. safe as you might think. Right. So there, again, these are technology type problems, mm -hmm. uh, but they're real. And right. to say we must have these things and to not address these things is being short-sighted, right. is, being, is being frankly intellectually uh, dishonest. Because right. these, these are real world problems that have to be addressed when dealing with a tool of this type when it comes to a firearm. Absolutely, because as you said, with a tool of this type, reliability is the number one need. You need police officers to be able to use it. You need uh, individuals who might need them for self-defense. This is a tool that cannot fail when you really need it. Um, and also, all the concepts that you talked about involve the use of batteries. So I guess that raises the question, what's the default mode for the product if a battery runs out? Does it default to a mode where the firearm can't function when the owner needs to use it to save his or her life? Or does it default to a mode where it can fire, creating the potential for an unauthorized user to access a loaded firearm, such as a child, because the gun owner thought, hey, this is safe technology. I don't need to lock it up. Um, would, would these kinds of issues open the manufacturer up for liability concerns? Absolutely, they would. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of things regarding batteries. Yeah, the batteries, if the battery goes dead, as, as everyone's had a device with, with a dead course, battery at one time or another, yep. that, that happens. That's going to happen. But the other right. thing with regard to batteries is those batteries are connected to wires, mm. which are connected to the system, right. whatever that is that unlock that firearm. Under the G-forces mm. that the firearm ex exerts when it's being fired, those wires tend to fray, those wires tend to break. Okay. So even if the battery's yep. good, a broken wire will put you out of business just as quickly. And I'll right. just kind of kind of go back to the to my original days as a as a shooter. Yeah. Um, I was taught from my mentor that never you, you never trust a mechanical device because right. any mechanical device can fail. Mm -hmm. So we tell people don't rely on your gun's safety, mm -hmm. the safety right the mechanical mm -hmm. device right. because a mechanical device can fail. So here you're taking a mechanical device, you're coupling it with some type of electronic device, mm. your reliability naturally is going to be decreased by those factors. Sure. Dead batteries, broken wires, whatever, the environment around you. Mm -hmm. So it, it becomes a problem when you think of how is it going to fail? Does it fail dead, that mm -hmm. is inoperable, or does it fail live? Right. And I was having a, I was having a discussion with, with one of my friends about this very subject right. uh, not long ago, talking about smart guns, yeah. and he said, well, you should have a smart gun, it'll be perfectly safe and fine. So I said, 
So you're telling me if, if there was a smart gun on the table that I could pick this gun up and point it at you? Well, no, you can't do that. Well, why not? Of course, right. Because it's be unsafe. But you told me it's a safe gun. People become complacent mm. when we start adding more technology into the systems of a relatively simple tool. A firearm is a tool. It's relatively simple. It's been right. around for hundreds of years. The mechanisms are time-tested. Mm -hmm. um, but to try and add this other layer in there, it, it adds complication and it adds the opportunity for failure. As a manufacturer, right. if the gun fails when it's, if the gun doesn't fire when it's supposed to, I'm liable. Mm -hmm. If the gun fires when it's not supposed to, I'm liable. No matter what, <laughs> there's, right, there's right. gonna be a problem here if it doesn't go perfectly every single time, 100% of the time. Yeah. So let's say that, that somebody does come up with a technology that works reliably, consistently, and overcomes all these existing hurdles. Can we go back for a second? You mentioned some of the unintended consequences to even a perfect smart gun. You know, what can you tell me about the basic rules of safe firearms handling and storage and how the, the um, creation of a smart gun or the, the ownership of a smart gun could change those behaviors in negative ways? Yeah, this gets back to my point about, you know, just because it's a smart gun, so right. to speak, does not mean you should point it at anybody that you mm -hmm. don't intend to harm. I mean, that's that is a you know a number one rule of safety. Practice, uh, if right. you don't point uh, you don't point a firearm at anything you don't intend to shoot. Okay, so some people, unfortunately, mm -hmm. if this technology were uh, or were available to them, mm -hmm. might might leave this loaded firearm out on a counter or mm -hmm. available because well it's safe because mm -hmm. only They're only my ones. fingerprint will unlock it or, mm -hmm. or I have the ring or my grip is the only one that's going to to, to make it operate, mm -hmm. th they might leave this thing around where it could fall into the wrong hands. Right. Um, and God forbid it should fail at the wrong time. Or it becomes stolen mm -hmm. and then quickly turned into a regular non-smart gun right. by some criminal enterprise. I mean, this would not be difficult to do. Sure. Um, so there's a whole host of problems. So the point is we must never lose sight of the fact that Guns should be, uh, when they're not in use, should be locked up. Mm -hmm. Ammunition should be stored separately. You don't rely on your gun safety. You know, we've got programs that educate gun owners on this, and no matter what type of firearm, mm -hmm. whether smart guns become in use or not, you can never, ever lose sight of those basic rules. You know, our Project yeah. Child Safe program has given away 38 million gun locking devices. A gun locking device is a great, great way right. of securing your firearms when they're not in use. Uh, and I would say no much more effective. Required. No battery required. <laughs> no much more effective in the fact that you don't need batteries. Right. There's nothing sophisticated about it, and the gun will not fire if the if the lock is properly installed. That's that makes a lot of sense. It, you know, I, I know we've we've said here often nothing is more dangerous than calling a firearm childproof, and the the concept that that would happen in the in the marketplace full of smart guns is is a scary one. Um, now, with the concerns about reliability, consumer demand, liability, it is worth noting that the industry is not opposed to continued work and the R&D behind this concept of a smart gun. I mean, it's more power to you. You want to develop this? That's fantastic. But what about new laws? Do we care if other states, like New Jersey, um, for example, try to mandate smart guns or say you must have a gun with these features? Well, yeah, of course we care because that limits the consumer's choice to buy a firearm that, mm -hmm. that suits his or her needs at that time. Right. 
So if you say only smart guns can be used here, mm -hmm. what about the other hundreds of millions of firearms in circulation, number one? Right. Number two, a person that is going to I intend to commit a crime with a firearm will simply find other sources of sure. non-smart firearms. Right. Or they'll take the ring mm -hmm. with the gun mm -hmm. uh, to make the gun operate. Or they'll get, it, they'll get it to someone who can disable the smart gun mm -hmm. technology. There's, right. a lot of, there's a lot of reasons here. But again, if people believe that this, that this would be right for their particular use, terrific. You know, if, if, a, if a manufacturer comes out with a gun that will be a smart gun, we have no objection to that. Mm -hmm. We do oppose the mandates. Um, and and so we've seen some of the mandates, like the one in New Jersey, right. actually have a chilling effect, perhaps, on the development of smart guns. And that we don't want that either. Of course. But that's, again, one of the unintended consequences of well-intentioned but not well-thought-out laws. Right. Well, it makes sense why we, we sadly oppose those mandates. Um, now, we'll go in more in-depth into the safety trends. And as you mentioned, our Project Child Safe program in another episode as well. But it's worth pointing out here that while there are more firearms owners and more guns in the U.S. than ever before, uh, fatal firearms accidents have fallen to near record lows since they started keeping the records back in 1903. We're down over 41% since 1999. And this is according to the CDC. So we know this is a very encouraging trend and has occurred even without the introduction of authorized user rec recognition technology. We know that every firearm ever made is capable of being locked and being made inaccessible to unauthorized users through, through the means such as a gun lock, like the ones we give away through Project Child Safe. And the ones that all manufacturers voluntarily provide with every new firearm shipped from the factory today. So for more information for our listeners about these programs and for other real solutions for safer communities, find them at www.nssf realsolutions.org. But that's all of our time for today. So I want to say thanks to Joe and thank you for listening. And please join us next time for another deep dive into the issues facing our communities today and how the gun industry is working for real solutions for safer communities. <laughs>